The scripture passage for today is Romans 11, 1 through 6. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Good morning. Uh, Thanks, Chad, for taking us to a place of worship and reflection and hopefully honesty uh, before God. Now I have to take us down a little bit uh, to this idea of rejection. Have you ever have you ever been rejected? Have you ever experienced rejection? If you've lived very long, you certainly have. It can be a very painful uh, experience. I remember. Maybe at the, at the worst time to experience rejection, those teenage years, I was 15, and I was rejected uh, by uh, a girl in high school. We'd been going steady for a while, and even though things were a bit rocky, not really working out, we decided uh, we'd go to the midwinter ball together. Big mistake. And from the, from the beginning, I could tell things were not going well. She seemed distant, distracted, but I wasn't prepared for what happened. In the middle of the dance, she abandoned me for another guy. Are you kidding me? And the worst part was, remember I said I was 15? I couldn't just leave because her dad was my ride home. So I was forced to suffer through the humiliation and pain of rejection. And at the time, I thought my life was over. I I, I thought about this story because I was recently talking to a guy uh, just the other day who's in college who's experiencing a similar kind of thing, and this brought the pain back to me. But as most of you know, the pains of our youth don't usually last. This pain lasted a while, but eventually I got over it. In fact, I got over it enough to marry the person who rejected me. (laughs) So in a sense, I was only temporarily rejected. I was pretty persistent, you know. No one's going to reject me. Now I begin with this very sad and uh, twisted story to introduce this idea of rejection, to help us feel a little bit of the the pain. Maybe it it recalled to your mind a time in your life when you experienced rejection. Maybe you've experienced it uh, recently. It's not fun. However, our text today 
doesn't deal with the rejection uh, of another person, of human rejection. It's about the possibility of being rejected by God, which is far more serious and far more lasting. The question we're going to look at is this, has God rejected his people? This is the question that the Apostle Paul begins Romans chapter 11 with, because it naturally follows Romans chapters 9 and 10. He's good at that, Paul, creating these logical arguments, bringing up these questions that follow on the heels of what he's just put forth. In these chapters, 9 and 10, Paul's been writing about God's relationship with his people Israel. And the relationship in general, maybe similar to my uh, relationship with my wife in high school, wasn't going that well. Because the Jewish people as a whole were not coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul's answering the question of why. Why is Israel, God's people, not entering into this saving relationship with God? And this is a valid question, right? Because Israel, among all the peoples of the earth, had the inside track to God. God had chosen them. He'd revealed Himself to them. He'd given them His his Word. They were given God's law that revealed both His holiness and their sinfulness. They were given the sacrificial system showing their need for a a blood sacrifice for their sin. They were given the covenant promises of God, promises of blessing and salvation that would ultimately be fulfilled through their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they were given Jesus Himself. Jesus came entered into our world as a Jew. He came to them as one of them because they were His. They were God's people. As we saw last week, Israel was given everything they needed to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preachers were sent to them. The gospel was preached to them. They heard it and they understood it. But why had so few believed? Why were the recipients of the promises for the most part, not receiving the promises. Why are God's people not being saved? And in chapter 9, Paul gives us three basic answers. First, Israel as a whole is not being saved because physical Israel does not belong to true Israel. Romans 9, 6, we read, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. So Paul's answering a question there. God's people aren't receiving God's promises, so could it be that the Word of God, the promises of God, have failed, that God is not being faithful to His promises? No, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. The promises given by God to Israel were given to true or spiritual Israel, which does not include every physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, first... Israel as a whole is not being saved because all of physical Israel, the physical descendants of, let's say, Jacob, does not belong to true Israel. Then the second answer Paul gives is is this. Israel in general is not being saved because God has not chosen to have mercy on all of them. Romans 9, 15, and 16. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God chooses 
for His own purposes, not based on who we are, not based on what we do. He chooses those He will have mercy on, those He will save through faith in the Gospel. And He's simply not chosen all of Israel. Therefore, second, Israel as a whole is not being saved because God has not chosen to have mercy on all of physical Israel. And finally, the third answer Paul gives is Israel in general is not being saved because they have not attained righteousness by faith. Only the righteous will be saved. And because we are sinners, the only way to attain righteousness is by receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. And Israel has, for the most part, rejected Jesus Christ and His offer of righteousness. In Romans chapter 30, chapter 30, that's kind of dumb, right? 30 chapters in Romans. Romans chapter 9. If there were 30 chapters in Romans, we would never, it would be the never-ending story, I'm telling you right now. Romans chapter 9, verses 30 and 32, Paul makes this clear by comparing how Israel is seeking salvation to how the Gentiles are receiving salvation. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Unlike the Gentiles who attained righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, Israel chose to pursue righteousness through works of the law and therefore stumbled over Jesus Christ. Therefore, third, Israel as a whole is not being saved because they did not attain righteousness by faith. So those are the answers to why so few in Israel, so few Jews are being saved. And that brings us naturally to Romans chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? After reading Romans 8 and 9, Paul, Paul sees people legitimately asking this question, right? And just to be clear, in this context, his people refers to his chosen people, Israel. Some, some have said that Paul's referring to uh, spiritual Israel, that he talked back in Romans 6, those that are part of Israel don't belong to Israel. But in that case, uh, uh, there would be no need to even ask this question. Because as we saw in Romans 9, spiritual Israel are the ones who are being saved. So they are clearly not being rejected. The question Paul is asking is, does the fact that so few uh, in physical Israel are being saved mean that God has rejected them? And to be perfectly honest, with most of what we've seen in Romans 8 and 9, the answer could be, yeah, yes, he has. I say most of uh, 9 and 10 because of the last verse of chapter 10. Remember from last week? Romans 10.21 says, But of Israel, he says, All day long I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This verse gives Israel hope because even though they are disobedient and contrary, even though they're opposing the gospel, God is still holding out His hands to them. But with the exception of this one verse, Romans 9 and 10 could lead us to assume that God has rejected physical Israel. Remember Romans 9, 6, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. This verse, along with others in chapter 9 and 10, 
make it seem like God is redefining Israel even. In fact, based on Romans 9 and 10, there are some who believe that yes, God has rejected Israel and that the church is the new, true spiritual Israel. And Romans 10, 21 and Romans 11, if those didn't exist, this would be, I think, a legitimate belief. But they do exist. And in Romans 11.1, 1, Paul makes it very clear. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. No, definitely not. It may seem that way, but he's holding out his hand to them all day long. God has not rejected his people. And so in the rest of Romans 11, Paul goes about defending this answer. He's sort of, in the first two chapters, he's sort of given the case for, uh, it's possible he has rejected them, but don't think that. Let me show you, let me show you something else here. Let me show you this from a, a different perspective, if you will. He's arguing that God has not rejected his people Israel. And the heart of his argument, a little preview, found down in verses 25 and 26. He says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. It's a mystery. You know, it's, it's okay uh, to say that. It's a mysterious thing. It's not super easy to understand. And Romans chapter 11 is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult chapters in the Bible to grab hold of, especially when you have Romans 9 and 10 there. And we'll, and we'll try to do the best we can through it. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. What? A partial hardening has come over upon Israel? What does that mean? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? And all of Israel will be saved. What does that mean? Well, well we'll save those answers uh, to these mysterious questions for when we get to these verses. But what I want us to understand is that Paul is arguing for the fact that God has not rejected his people. And he wants us to understand that the present spiritual condition of Israel does not, and I'm talking about the present condition in Paul's day, and this condition continues to our day. It's very similar. The present condition spiritual condition of Israel does not reflect their final spiritual condition, their final salvation. Or we could say the current apparent rejection of Israel by God does not mean that they will be ultimately and finally rejected by God. Their hardening or unbelief is not total. It's just partial. And one day they will all be saved. That's a preview of the heart of Paul's argument that God has not rejected his people Israel. So Romans 11 exists to show that God has not rejected his people Israel, which is nice, especially for Israel, right? But it also exists to show us something about God. Uh, set a fire deep down in my soul. Uh, sorry, I'm missing it, but I want more of you, God, is the line that that I was reflecting on there. And, 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 and then I was thinking, to my, that's your job as a pastor to, to help us get more of God. And I want to do that today in this passage. 
Because this, these, these verses, this passage, the Bible exists to show us some things about God. And here, there's something that's very, very important for us who are God's people to understand. Whether we're physical Israel or spiritual Israel, whether we're descendants of Abraham physically or descendants of Abraham by faith, Romans 11 exists to show us all that God does not ever reject any of His people. That He is always faithful to His people. Romans 11 exists so we can trust in Romans 8. If we go back to Romans 8 and the promises clearly to the church there, uh, I would try to quote some, but I would mess it up. But you know the promises. We'll get to the, the final promise that, that, that nothing will ever separate us from His love. We'll get to that at the end of the message. But for those promises to exist and for us to cling to them and trust in them and hope in them, uh, we, might, we might have doubts. If, if God has rejected Israel, may He not at some point for some reason reject His church. But this passage says He never rejects any of His people. And we'll conclude by showing how crucial this is for us to understand and believe and trust in uh, as we enter into relationship with Him. But first... We turn to Paul's argument or arguments. In verses 1 through 6, he gives, uh, I stole these uh, arguments. I mean, they're here in the Bible. I didn't steal them. But the, the list of these four arguments, Tim Keller had them in his commentary on this. And I thought, oh yeah, that, that's good. Four arguments specifically designed to show that God has not rejected his people Israel. The first is the personal argument. Romans 11.1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for, Paul writes, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul is arguing that God's faithfulness to his people is found in the fact of his own Jewishness. He points out that he himself, the greatest uh, missionary of the early church, certainly and the one who would write the major portion of Christian thought, major portion of Christian thought, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, that he's a Jew. He's saying, look, look at me, I'm a Jew. And this is even more profound when we remember who Paul was. That he was once Saul, right? Remember that guy? Saul who heard and understood the gospel, but rejected it. Saul who was disobedient and contrary but whose God's hands were still outstretched to him. Saul, who opposed the gospel, even to the point of arresting and, and persecuting those who believed. But he says, the fact that God came to me, read the story in Acts chapter 9, it's God came to him. Paul was not seeking. God came to him and saved him. The fact that, Paul says, the fact that God came to me and saved me is proof that he's not rejected his people because I'm one of his people. I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Notice Paul wants to be very clear, down to the tribe, that he's not just thinking of himself as a spiritual Jew, but as a physical Jew. We're talking about physical Israel here. He's a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Benjamin. And therefore, he's showing that God has not rejected physical Israel. 
because he, Paul, is not rejected. How can you say that God has rejected the Jews when he didn't reject one like me? If, if anybody, remember he calls himself the chief of all sinners. If, if anybody's going to get rejected, it should be me, Paul says. That's the first argument, the personal argument. Then Paul gives the election argument. And I don't mean uh, the election like that's coming up in 2020, the voting type election. I mean God's choice election. Romans 11.2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God foreknew his people, the same people that he didn't reject, he foreknew. What does that mean? It means that he knew them before. Foreknew means to know before. He chose them before. Before what? Well, in Romans 9.11, we're given an, an individual example of God choosing, if you remember, Jacob over Esau. Though they were not yet born, before they were born, and had done nothing either good or bad before they did anything, period, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. God foreknew Jacob. He knew him and He chose him for His purposes before Jacob had done anything good or bad. To know before. And in Amos uh, 3.2, we see this foreknowing applied to all of Israel. God says of Israel, you only have I known of all the families, the peoples of the earth. The NASB translates it, you only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. And remember when he chose them? Chapter 12 of Genesis, when he picked this guy named Abram out. Abram, who probably was some moon worshiper from Ur, right? Uh, he picked him out, and he foreknew the, all of his people that would come from Abraham. He chose them from among all the families of the earth. Of Israel, God says, you only have I sought out and chosen and made mine and known. This is, I think, a, a picture of the foreknowing in Romans chapter 11, verse 2. Israel is God's foreknown. That is chosen or elect people. And that's confirmed down in Romans 11, 28 and 29. As regards the gospel, the gospel, they, Israel, are enemies of God for your Gentiles' sake. Don't worry, we don't have to understand all this today. But as regards election, this is the part I want us to focus on, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. Without going into all the de details, which, which we'll get when we come to these verses, Israel as a people are elect, chosen by God. This is a reference to, to corporate is Israel as a whole, alive in any given generation. This is the visible corporate nation, the people called the Jews. And because they reject Christ, they are, were then, when Paul wrote, and presently now, enemies of God, enemies of the gospel. But that's not the end of the story, and that's not the whole story. There's a future Israel because they are a people. They, as a people, are elect. That is, they are foreknown. God made a covenant with their forefathers, and that covenant is irrevocable. It will stand forever. You only have I chosen among all the families, peoples of the earth. 
And so the fact that God foreknew Israel as a people, that He chose them to be His people, and His choice, His, uh, and his choice and His promises are irrevocable, means that He, of course, has not rejected them. So that's the second argument, the election argument. Then Paul gives the third argument, the remnant argument. Beginning in the second half of verse 2, we read, <clears throat> Do you not know that, excuse me, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. Now we need a little background to understand this. Elijah was a prophet of God to the northern kingdom of Israel. He prophesied during the time, uh, a time when Israel, for the most part, again, it was not unlike the time uh, in Paul's day. It was not unlike the time in our day when Israel, for the most part, had rejected the truth of who God truly is. Had rejected God and where they were serving false gods. Gods of the peoples uh, uh, that, that, that lived around them. Chief among these false gods was a, a god named Baal. And Elijah is famous. If you know anything about Elijah, you know this. He's famous for his defeat of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Do you, you know the story, the, the water and the calling the fire from heaven, and everybody's kind of scorched. He stood alone against 450 prophets of Baal, and by the power of God, he destroyed them. I mean, uh, read the story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a good story. So Elijah's famous for this, but Elijah's also Infamous, if you will, for the fact that right after he defeats these prophets, he runs and hides from King Ahab's wicked wife, Jezebel. He defeats the 450 prophets, but this one woman scares him poopless to death. Okay, sorry. Can't, can't say that. I guess I just did, sorry. And it was while he's hiding and he's in fear for his life that we read in 1 Kings 19.14... He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So this is the perception that Elijah has, and it's not unlegitimate, it's not illegitimate. I got the word. That's, I mean, this is what he's seeing. This is, this is the reality that he's living in. These 450 prophets of Baal and this King Ahab, they're, they're Jews. They're in Israel, and they have rejected their God. But God contradicts Elijah's perception, as Paul points out in Romans 11.4. In 1 Kings 19.18, God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Paul, said, Paul writes in verse 4, I have paraphrases this, I have kept myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And what he's saying is that there, there, there has always been in Israel this faithful remnant. Even during times when it seemed that Israel had utterly rejected God, and maybe God had rejected them, 
God is faithful and always keeps a remnant for Himself. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant, He says. Look, even though Israel as a whole has rejected their Messiah, there was a remnant who believed at the time of Elijah, and there is a remnant who believe now. At Paul's time, and there's a remnant that continues in our day. Jews for Jesus, for example, and, and others. That's the third argument of why God has not rejected his people. The third thing that shows God has not rejected his people. Because, he's, because if, if there's a Jew who's trusting in God, whether it's Paul, whether it's this remnant, it means that God has called them to himself and he's not rejected them. And that brings us to the final argument Paul gives, the grace argument. Verses 5 and 6, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. We'll come back to this verse next week. But Paul says, as I've shown in my last argument, there's a remnant. And that remnant is chosen by grace. Uh, not by works. And what Paul means is this. What guarantees that there will always be a faithful remnant is not that there are always good and decent uh, people. There's not always those who will figure out and believe, but rather that there is always the grace of God. It is God who preserves a remnant Those who believe do so entirely because of His grace. That's the final argument. That God's grace continues to work in His people, Israel. Therefore, God has not rejected His people. Those are the first four arguments that Paul makes for the fact that God has not rejected His people. Now, now another way to look at these arguments is that Paul is using one argument with two illustrations. His argument uh, could be, or really could be, uh, number two and four, election by grace. God has not rejected His people because He has chosen a faithful remnant by His grace. And His two illustrations are uh, the f- number one and number three. Paul, a Jew, was elected by grace. He is part of this faithful remnant. And Elijah thought that he alone served God, but there were 7,000, a remnant who had been elected by grace, so too, there's still at the present time, Paul's time and our time, this time, a remnant that's elected by God's grace. And the point is, of all of this, is that God has not rejected His people. And that God does not and never will reject His people. This is true for His chosen people, Israel, and this is true for His chosen people, the church. This is true for you and for me. God will never reject His people. So for those of us who are His people, this is a joyous uh, music to our ears. Hallelujah. You, You will never be rejected by God. If today... You're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Him as your Savior, if you've submitted to Him as your Lord, then you are God's people. The Apostle 
Peter, writing to Christians, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are like the Apostle Paul and the remnant throughout history. You are foreknown by God. You are chosen. You are elect. Why? The same reason for those guys. The same reasons we've just talked about. Not based on anything you have done or will do. Not uh, not based on who you are. Not based on your works. But based on the fact that you're chosen by grace. By God's unmerited favor, you were chosen to be His child. By grace, He chose you. And therefore, and this is really big, rejoice again, brothers and sisters. He will not ever, no, never reject you. You are His, uh, by His glorious grace, His chosen, elect, foreknown people. And so I'd like to encourage you, to both believe this and to live based on this truth. And we could do a whole sermon, a whole nother sermon, so I'm just going to summarize here on what it would look like to live based on uh, the, the reality that God cannot reject you. But first, let me just reinforce this truth with one other passage. I, I spoke of uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans 11 isn't the first time that we as Christians hear that God does not reject us. Romans 8, he's writing to the church. Paul brings it home. I mean, the whole chapter we could read, but he brings it home in the final two verses. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. (sighs) I've got a little cold, so I'm having trouble breathing here. (laughs) Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, nothing can or will separate you from His love, from that loving relationship that you've entered into with Him. God will never reject you. He's not going to kick you out of relationship. He's not going to abandon you. And so what does this mean for our lives? It means that we can live in in glorious uh, Freedom before our God, in relationship with our God. We'll get to what that freedom looks like shortly, but, but I feel compelled uh, to issue this warning. To make sure we understand, first, uh, what this freedom does not look like. By freedom before God, I do not mean, I cannot mean, the Bible never means that we are free to sin before God because God will never reject us. Let me tell you in all sincerity, if when you hear the glorious truth that God will never reject you, if the grace and mercy of God causes you to rejoice because you can, with no fear of rejection, send to your heart's content, then you are not God's people. You are not God's person. Because God's people are not just chosen by His grace and mercy, they're transformed by His grace and mercy. And that transformation is clearly seen in our attitude towards sin. If you are chosen by God, if you're His people, you know this. It's in your heart. I'm not even speaking to you really. You you know this. But if there's some out there that, that don't know this, 
Now, now you, if, 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 if the grace and mercy of God causes you to think, okay, I can go on sinning with no reprisal, then I'm talking to you. The Apostle John makes it very clear. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If you're born of God, if you're born again, if you've received his seed abiding in you, I think I believe the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you, you cannot make a practice of sinning. You cannot keep on sinning. Now that doesn't mean you cannot sin. It means that your life is not characterized by sin. It means that you will be convicted of your sin. You will find no joy in sin if you are God's people, person. You will be driven to confession and repentance for your sin by the seed of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. So if, you hear when, so, so if what you hear when I say that God will not reject you, means you can continue in your sin and you are not God's people and you're in grave danger of being rejected by him for all eternity. Because the Bible doesn't say, this doesn't say God will never reject no one. It says he will never reject his people. And you need to repent, confess your sin, believe in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, allow the mercy and grace of God to begin to transform your heart so that sin is no longer the joy of your life that's the that's the warning so when i say god will never reject you means that you can live in glorious freedom before him i don't mean you can continue in your sin i mean that you can always continue in relationship with him we can be certain that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I've shared this before, uh, but I can't help sharing it again. It, it was this truth, what we're talking about here in Romans 8, probably I wasn't getting it in Romans 11, that was a little too complicated for me at the time, but it was this truth that God will never reject me, that God's love for me is permanent, uh, uh, that truth revolutionized my relationship with God. There was a time when I, was, uh, I first became a Christian, and some, some years after that, that my relationship with God was, was based mainly on my fear of Him. I don't know if, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if this had anything to do, I mean, when I was four uh, years old, I was rejected by my natural father. He walked away from our family. I don't, I don't have memories of that. I don't know how that affected me, but for some reason, and I don't think I'm alone, my view of God was such that he could reject me at any time. And so when I sinned, I believe that God looked upon me uh, with disgust, that he at least for a time rejected me, and that caused me uh, as it would most, to turn away from Him, to not come to Him in honest confession, to, to not call upon Him for help and deliverance and forgiveness, to ignore His Word and prayer, uh, to run from God. And this, of course, uh, uh, led to this spiritual spiraling down effect. 
I'd continue in my sin until the conviction of the... Because I, 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 I believe I was actually saved at this... I mean, you might find it hard to believe. Sometimes I, I, I do as well. But, the convi- but, but the, this fact, the fact that the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there was something inside me would overwhelm me. And this would often lead me to uh, becoming a Christian again. You know, praying to receive Christ again. I was too shy to walk the altar, so I didn't keep walking the altar like uh, some people do. Walking the aisle, walking to the altar, whatever it is. But in my heart, in my seat at church, I would, I would come to Christ over and over again. Because I was sure that, uh, that because of my sin, He'd rejected me. But even then, it was not that God had rejected me. It was that because of of fear, I was ignoring my relationship with him and running from him. It was not a good situation. But when I came to understand the truth that even in my sin, God did not reject me, you know what, that did not move me towards, okay, I can just keep sinning and just ignore it it and go, go to God anytime I want. When I understood that by God's grace, He chose me to be one of His people. That even in my failures and imperfections, God continued to love me. uh, Everything changed. I was able to have a real and honest relationship with Him. A relationship where I, I could come to Him as I am. With all my faults and failures and fears and doubts and sins and worries. I could take these to God knowing that He could handle them and that He would never reject me, that He would not abandon me, knowing that even, my, even at my worst, I could run to Him instead of running from Him. So I'd encourage you today, knowing that God has not and will not ever reject you, His people, Believing the truth of God's Word that nothing can separate you from His love. Trusting that God will not reject you. Live in glorious freedom in relationship with Him. Run to Him no matter what, every day, all the time, as you are, in all honesty. Run to Him with all your faults and your failures and your fears and doubts and sins and worries. Spend time with Him in His Word and prayer, allowing Him to embrace you, to fellowship with you, trusting that He will never reject you, and that, this is the cool part, He will continue because you're in relationship with Him, You're going to Him. You're spending time in His Word and in prayer. He will not reject you, but He will continue to remake you in His image. He loves you enough not to leave you where you are. And today as we close our service, uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing this this song, Come As You Are. I'd encourage you to, to do just that. Whether you come to Him where you are, standing in the, the pews or at the tables, or whether you'd like to come forward, maybe and sit on the first, first row just as a sign of your coming to Him for yourself. You'd like to receive prayer from the, 
the elders, myself or the elders, understand, know, and believe that if you are his people, God will never reject you. And therefore, you can come to him as you are. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your, uh, for your grace and for your mercy that bids us come to you. Lord, we thank you that, that you uh, will never reject your people. We thank you that you've called us as your people. Lord, if there are those here that, that and I think this, this, this becomes clear, if there are those here today who, who are not your people but are being, being drawn to you, I pray that they would make that commitment to you, that they would invite you to enter into their hearts, to, to, to be their Lord and to be their Savior, Lord. And, and for us, Lord, I pray that we today uh, would understand and be fully convinced that you will never reject us, and that would cause us to come to you on a, on a moment-by-moment basis throughout the days of our life and today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. Can we do like we did last time, uh, Sean, maybe, maybe Jim, come forward just to be available for people as we sing this song.